Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, good morning, gardeners. What a gorgeous morning it is. Um, Got up this morning, was 57. No clouds. Beautiful sky. What a gorgeous day. I noticed, though, that it's later and later in the morning before the sun comes up and we get to see it. We got about two weeks and the time changes. Yeah, we do the fallback thing again. And that means the sun will be up earlier in the morning, but our nights are going to be a lot sooner than we thought they would be. There is a hint of some rain for this week. Yay, we always need rain. The disappointing thing is, and a lot of rain, maybe a quarter inch. And we we really need more than a quarter inch of rain. But we'll take what we get. We're not going to argue over. It doesn't, uh, there's nothing we can do. to make it rain more or less. So that's coming this week. And we also have that perfect weather conditions. 65 to 70 degree nighttime lows, sun uh, mid 80s during the day. Man, that is tomato growing weather. So hopefully... Y'all that still have tomatoes in that you protected from the sub 50 degree temperatures, you'll be seeing more and more growth out of them. They should be blooming more. My peppers are going crazy. My bell peppers are like, you look at it and you can see all the blooms from a long distance. And they're starting to form bell peppers. I'm hoping that they will redden on the plants and look really good when uh, when they're done. Let's go to the phone. This is Susie. Susie, what can I help you with? Good morning. I want to let you know I saw four big, beautiful monarchs on Thursday in my yard. So they're in South Austin. They're they're heading south. Um, there is a place to check called Journey North. One word. And they track the monarchs. And the last I read from them saying the big wave is just now entering North Texas. So we should see more and more monarchs over the next couple of weeks. Oh, good. Yeah, this, this, yeah. these are the early ones. Do they yeah, actually we, set a path or do, are there some that begin the journey sooner and... Uh, yeah, it's not like they all pack up and go, okay, let's go, and yeah, you know, we get yeah. a flood of them. They, they have whatever reason that gets them to head south. Okay. Well, I wanted to share that with you because it was so fun to see them. <laughs> oh, yes, And then I also ma'am. planted we, last week in, in my garden, and everything germinated and just popped up. So this is a great time to plant. Yes, it is, and yeah. it's only going to get better. The weather yes. looks like it's just nothing but garden weather for a couple of weeks. Well, thank you. Have a good day. You too. Thanks for the call, Susie. Yes, folks. 
The monarchs are heading south. I want to dispute something that, well, I just don't think it was the, was something you should be doing. You will see a lot of comments about cutting back your milkweed because we don't want the monarchs to lay eggs and stay here. Don't worry. <laughs> They're not going to lay eggs and stay here. They are migrating. These are monarchs who started in Canada and are headed south. You are not confusing them. You are not holding them back. You are not causing them to change their path. You have to remember, there's comments about cutting back the tropical milkweed. Well, I have three different kinds of milkweed in my yard right now. Should I cut those back too? They're the ones that host uh, butterflies. I'm not going to. I don't know that I'll get a single monarch to land on them. But monarchs aren't the only ones that eat milkweed. So we need to keep that in mind. And as for cutting back the tropical milkweed, because of the disease they call OE. Um, if we get a freeze, that will take care of your milkweed for you. It'll freeze it to the ground. And if it's tropical, you'll be lucky if it comes back. I know lots of people say, oh, it comes back every year for me. You happen to have a microclimate where it doesn't freeze the milkweed and it comes back ready to go. So you got lucky. Normally you can let it freeze. And the OE, which is a disease that affects the monarchs, generally is not propagating that fast or that heavy. So I'm not going out and cutting any milkweed. I'm doing everything I can to encourage it to grow. And it's doing really well. I'm getting a couple of different varieties that I normally see in the fall. They'll be just fine. What are we doing? What are we doing to help the monarchs? You should be putting every, every blooming flower you can get or encourage it to bloom so that they have something to eat. That's the key. They're traveling. They don't need to eat the leaf. They want to drink the nectar. And the more blooming plants you have, the more nectar you provide them on their trip into Mexico. So blooming flowers, folks, the more blooming flowers, the better for the monarchs. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a break. I'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. 
Let's go to the phone. This is Dia. Good morning. What can I help you with? Oh, hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. I'm on my way to Green and Growing to get some corn gluten to put on my yard before the rains. And uh, But you had mentioned uh, several weeks earlier that I should wait until uh, the temperature is 84 to put dirt on my ground and then put um, um, turf on top of it. Uh, and I was wondering, is it better to wait and do that in the spring since it's kind of late? Or is it okay to do that now? Technically, it's okay to do that now. But you have to remember something. Whatever sod you are putting down it's probably going to go dormant fairly soon so you're going to have a nice pretty level brown lawn okay if you wait till spring it will be greening up so at least you'll get a better looking turf doing it now lets it set better roots but like i said it's not really going to look like a good-looking turf till spring. Okay, okay. Is it okay to transplant blackberry bushes at this time? Yeah, for the most part it is. Make sure you have cut off the second-year canes, the one that had any fruit on it. Yeah, that came off. All right, then you should be able to lift out big chunks of the existing blackberries, lots of roots, and transplant them, and they'll do okay. Oh, thank you so much. I enjoy listening to your show, and you have a great day. You too. Thank you much. Yeah, blackberries are, I I tell people, they're black thumb plants. They're very, very, very forgiving. They produce fruit quickly. You can have what would be considered production level fruiting by about the third year. They just want full sun and decent drainage and they go on about their business. And does it matter whether they're thorned or thornless? That's totally up to you. It's, is it true or not? I don't know, but it's argued that the Thorn varieties have bigger and better tasting fruit. I can't really tell a huge difference whether they're thorned or thornless, but um, that's kind of up to you. Both varieties will perform very well here. Both varieties. And they don't require a whole lot of maintenance. That's the great thing about blackberries. Put them in a sunny spot. Be nice if you could fence them up so that they don't drag on the ground. Trim them back to a set height every year so you get lots and lots of side shoots. And away you go. They should do nothing but produce blackberries for you. Your biggest problem is going to be The birds are going to feel that you planted the blackberries just for them. You're going to have to convince them that, no, in fact, you did not. But there are worse problems to have. Very productive plant, easy to care for, super tasty, and very healthy for you, too. Those dark berries have anthrocyanins in them that are very good health uh, 
additives. So I'm all for blackberries. I think that they're a great plant here in Central Texas. And of course, if you don't want blackberries, trailing dewberries are basically a sprawling version of blackberries. They spread out pretty much flat to the ground and they still produce the same kind of berry. They just don't stand upright. Let's go to the phone. This is Stephen. Stephen, what can I help you with? Good morning, uh, Jeff. Uh, I have a question about the Japanese boxwood. I had them installed, uh, several of them, in November of last year. And this year I find that some of them have leaves turning yellow and has uh, no chance from my visual inspection, have no chance to ever turn green. What, what is it that I'm doing that is causing it or is it the result of the uh, uh, very hot summer? Uh, <clears throat> that is part of the problem. This summer throws out everything. You can't mm -hmm. say, you can easily go anything that doesn't look right is a result of the summer because it was that bad of summer. Now, in Texas, uh, uh, they need partial sun, even dappled shade. They shouldn't be out in straight on all day sun in Texas. That's too much for them. And they need to be watered well at least once a week during the summer, especially this summer. Good, slow, deep soaking. If you're matching those things up, if they were sort of in the shade and you were taking care of their water, they will make it. But they, you may lose some leash from them, and that's just them reacting to the summer. So how do I, once the leaves turn yellow, do, do I have to get rid, of, get rid of the leaves that have already turned yellow because they will never grow, go back to green? They can come back to green. If you're meeting the conditions they need to grow, they can return to green. You can try using a product called copperus and sprinkle it on the ground around the plants. It doesn't take much. It will help okay. enable them to pick up more iron, which can get the leaves to green back up. Okay, now what is the name of the product again? Copperus. Copper A-S. Copper A-S. And where can I get it? Local independent nurseries. Okay. C-O-P-P-E-R-A-S? C-O-P-P-E-R-A-S. Oh, C-O-P-P-A-R. Okay. C-O-P-P-A-R-A-S. Copperus. And yes. that is... Uh, and that is... Uh, uh, 
that provides some iron to it? In the long run, yeah. Stephen, I'm up against a break. I'm sorry. I will uh, catch all of you uh, after the break. I'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's go to the phone. This is Camille. Camille, what can I help you with? Good morning, Jeff. I've got a a cherry laurel coming up, uh, or that did come up several years ago in an undesirable place in a flower bed, and it's under an oak branch, so I've, I've kept it because I... I, I, I prune it to keep it where it doesn't, you know, bump into the oak branch. And I've really come to appreciate things like cherry laurels that can survive Texas freezes and heat. Um, but I want to transplant it to a, a place where it can, you know, grow and I don't have to keep pruning it back. And I'm wondering, would it be better? And, and let me just also say I've got a couple of mountain laurels, the same situation. And I'm wondering if it would be better to transplant it now or wait until the winter or spring, early spring. Now is probably the better of the times because both of those plants can make it through our winter just fine. Here's the issue, Camille. A cubic foot of soil, assuming you have to dig enough to get the roots out, Weighs about 70 to 75 pounds, plus the plant. Depending on how big the plant is, you're talking about a really pretty heavy project. So if you're willing to do that labor or you have help, sure, you can transplant them. But just understand there's some work to be done. The bigger the plant, the bigger their root ball you got to get as much of the root ball as you possibly can to be successful transplanting them. Okay. And it, it's about, it's got four stems, and the main stem is about an inch and a half. I thought you might say that. So do you think it'll be like maybe three, two feet deep with an inch and a half? Is it possible to It's estimate? a little less about how deep it'll be and how wide the roots go out. Oh, so you want to okay. grab everything you can, you know, uh, yes. you want to pull out as much root as you can to transplant mm-hmm. them. Okay. Okay, great. And then um, can I ask another quick question? Yes, ma'am. Okay. I've got uh, almost everything I put out along a fence uh, that I, I want for vining died. Uh, I put out Carolina jasmine, and none of it survived the heat. And I'm wondering, would it be better? I I love Esperanza, but I'm concerned it might freeze. Is there something I could put out now that would be pretty for the next two or three months uh, uh, that that wouldn't freeze? Or would it be better to wait until spring to put something vining out? And it would be ideal if if it flowers. I think you'd be better to do it in the spring to give you time to look at what you want to put out. That being said, um, you 
when you say Carolina Jasmine, <coughs> that throws me because there's Confederate Jasmine and there's Carolina Jessamine. Okay, I think it was Carolina Jessamine. Got it. That should have survived. All right? That should have survived. It would have liked shade more than mm. direct sun all day. So mm-hmm. that may be part of it. And uh, it nobody wanted 105-degree temperatures. That you're figuring out uh, by the plants that aren't making it. So you could have chosen the Confederate star jasmine, mm-hmm. which will make it through our winter very easily, produces a beautiful heavenly-scented bloom, and grows moderately aggressive, so it would cover a fence line pretty quickly. Okay, good. I'm going to get some of that today. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> That's it'll con- come in a couple of different sizes. Song. It'll come Sorry. in a couple of different sizes. Okay. So a, a one-gallon is a, uh, is not going to fill in as fast as the bigger ones, but get two one-gallons instead of one of the other. Okay. That's Confederate Star Jasmine. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Camille. Good luck. Uh, let's go to the phone. This is John. John, what can I help you with? Jeff, good morning. Hey, uh, seasoned landscaper here. I do it professionally the last 15 years. One thing I have never done in all these years is try and transplant a mature uh, Turk's cap. I've removed a bunch of them when mm-hmm. unwanted, um, and those are difficult in itself. Are they? I have a customer that potentially wants some that another customer has. Uh, is it possible to, to transplant those? I know they got a pretty funky root system. Yes, you can transplant them. But because they're, you know, I understand the circumstance. He wants this combination. Good for him. But the reality is they're inexpensive. And even a small one becomes a huge one within a year or two. So you can do the transplanting. But you do want to try to grab as much of that root as you can. I'm kind of surprised because... I get volunteers all the time, and I'm spending my time trying to get rid of them rather than trying to transplant them. But it can be done. Um, but get it's, um, healthy, healthy it's, it's fruit. A, it's two friends that are customers of mine, and, and she's about to have a project coming up. And, and her plans is a bunch of uh, Turks cap, and she'd rather have mature, already you know developed. You know how Got people it. are instant gratification now, so they want the the instant pop. So uh, I, I just oh, figured it was going to be too much of a hassle to, uh, to do that. So. Uh, okay. That's going to depend on your level of what's a hassle and what isn't. Personally, sure. when I've tried to dig them out, I'm like you. It was so much work just to get it out. And even then it kept trying to sneak back on me. You should be able to get a healthy chunk of root a healthy chunk, and transplant it, and it will start to grow. But it's going to be work. All right. 
Thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a great weekend. You too. Thanks a lot for the call. Okay, let's uh, let's go to the phone. This is Stephen. Stephen, what can I help you with? Oh, hi, Jeff. I was talking to you earlier about the Japanese box for the leaves turning yellow, and uh, we ran out of time. So we were, you were telling me something about uh, copper ass, C-O-P-P-E-R-A-S. Yes. And is that, uh, does that come in liquid form or is it a solid form? It's a pellet. It's a pellet. Pelletized. So I, yeah, it's pelletized like a granule, and you can sprinkle it on the ground underneath the plants. Okay. And how long does it take for me to wait for the yellow to turn green if it does work? Uh, it could be six uh, six weeks or so. It should improve fairly quickly, but it will okay. take it some time to turn green again. Okay, this is a, this is a new news. Uh, uh, I was of the opinion that once these uh, leaves turn yellow, there is no hope for these uh, leaves to ever turn back green. Depends on what caused the yellowing. If well, this, empire, is, this is the part I'll never empire. know other than what you were telling me about a very hot summer. That's true. That's true. But it's not mm -hmm. if it's if it's environmental, that means it's not a disease. If it's not a disease and you solve the environmental problem, meaning they're getting the proper water or they're getting some additives to help with the iron, then they'll turn green again. If it's a disease, no, it may never turn green again. You just okay. got to test them. Mm -hmm. Are, are Japanese boxwood good for the Texas climate, or should I? I mean, if if they don't turn green, I can take it out and replace it with uh, something like uh, uh, dwarf uh, yopon holly? A dwarf yopon holly is much better adapted to our environment. Mm -hmm. Texas, the Japanese boxwoods do not want all-day full sun. So if you can't get them afternoon shade or dappled shade or something, they're always going to complain. I see. And uh, they are in the sun, and there is nothing that I can do about it. No. <laughs> Unfortunately, you can't move the sun. <laughs> yeah, I know. So what else, uh, what other words of wisdom can you Tell me to save these uh, boxwoods before I decide to, before I'm forced to replace them. Um, I, I gave you what can help. If it okay. doesn't change the plant, then you're in the, do you want to deal with this anymore it, or not? And you can replace them with the dwarf yopon's a great plant. And there are some some boxwoods that have only few leaves uh, uh, turning yellow, and there are some stems that have a combination of uh, uh, leaves that are yellow and green. And I'm not sure whether the green leaves are turning yellow or yellow leaves turning green. You'll just have to watch it. 
that's going to be your responsibility to observe what the change is in the plant. Okay. Stephen, again, I'm sorry, I'm up against a break, but um, good luck with the boxwood. Folks, I'll catch everybody on the other side after this break. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, I'm getting questions as to when to plant what. We are in the winter side of the planting schedule. So that's going to be leafy greens and cold season herbs like cilantro, fennel, dill, plants like that. What about your perennials? Well, um, they are probably going to be happier if you don't have to plant them now and you can wait till spring. You know, it's it's going to be 90-something today. That's not at all normal. So it's really hard to predict. If we plant it now, how many weeks of good weather are we going to have before it gets cold? Because that's going to determine the health of your perennial planting. And that's kind of hard to do. So the perennial plants... You want to get them in the ground in the fall. But we don't know when it's going to freeze. So the sooner you can get them in the ground, the sooner they can establish roots, and the sooner that they could handle going through our freezing winter and developing enough roots that they'll also be able to handle our freezing um uh, our freezes that we get, the surprise freezes and ice storms, and hopefully they'll establish enough to be able to handle our silly heat. I mean, just the terrible heat that we had. Uh, let's go to the phone. This is Dennis. Dennis, what can I help you with? Good morning, Jeff. I'm calling yes, about sir. my, yes, I'm calling about my live oaks. Mm-hmm. And uh, three years ago, they were planted, and the bit, and they made it through the snow apocalypse just fine. But this summer, with the heat, one of the trees they're planted about twenty feet apart. One live oak is perfect. The other one, the leaves dried out before I noticed, you know, that it was happening. But on there. They're starting to come back, I think, the leaves, like a clump on the bottom. And then sporadically throughout the tree, I see the green leaves coming back. I think kind of. What can I do? I want to get it as healthy as possible before winter sets in. What can I do and how much should I water it? Okay, first things first. Check and make sure that all the branches on the funky one are still supple out to the tip. If you start to bend the branch and it snaps, 
your best solution would be to replace the tree with a new one. No. Which, I don't know, how big were they when you got them? Uh, maybe eight foot tall. You can do that with a 10 to a 15 gallon tree if you have to replace them. That's not exactly, you know, pocket change, but it's also, you may put in a great deal of effort to recover this tree and it still dies. When it starts doing the clumping thing where you're getting these weird little leaves every place, that is not a healthy sign. Okay. An arborist will come and he could look at it and tell you exactly what's going on, but it doesn't mean that the tree is going to survive or grow well the way it's sitting. Our summer was that bad. If it had just decided to drop its leaves, that would be one thing. But the erratic returning growth, that's that's not a good sign. Oaks can drop their leaves completely more than one time per season. They could be bare naked twice a year and still be a big healthy tree. But the bizarre growth pattern back indicates that maybe the tree as a whole isn't particularly healthy. Now you can cross your fingers, you can provide some water every couple of weeks, a good deep soaking, and hope for the best. It may leaf out, but if in, when we get to spring, if it still looks pathetic, if it hasn't corrected itself, then you may have to make a choice as to whether or not you replace it. Okay, but but from now until then, is too much watering bad? Yes. Okay. And what would you suggest, because I'd really like to try to save it, what would you suggest as in a fertilizer or whatever, a supplemental Seaweed, seaweed solution. Take seaweed a five solution. gallon, yeah. Take a five gallon bucket, fill it with water, <clears throat> add the correct amount of seaweed, and drench the roots. That would be the simplest, most effective thing you could do. Dennis, okay, get- um, I got a break for the news at the top of the hour, but be patient with the tree. Just be careful how high you raise your hopes. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I will be back after the news.